0: This is Camo Shenanigans, episode 256, A Conversation with Tom DeFalco. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 256. I'm your host Adam Chapman, and this is our conversation with Tom Defalco. Episode. We're going to jump into it in just a moment, but first, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I want to thank um, a lot of the, the uh, members of the message board MarvelMasterworks.com uh, for submitting questions for today's conversation with, uh, with Tom Defalco. Uh, I just want to thank some of the following uh, posters. Uh, um, uh, let's see. We've got to thank Doctor Doombot, Archangel, Video Farmer uh cj mahoney badger 1701 sammy murky or Murchi, matthew mccallum uh five years later george Corey and tim roll pickering as well as um uh, century 459 as well as our uh, frequent uh, guest of the show nathan struck as well also submitted some questions for this one so um I may not actually mention your name on the during the actual conversation, but I am using your question, so I wanted to make sure that I gave you a shout out and thank you for contributing to the episode. Um, if you want to email us at us at Comic Shenanigans at g- Want to email us at Comic Shenanigans, you can do so at comic shenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also post in our HD Realms thread or Marvel Masterworks uh, thread as well. Uh, so thank you for uh, listening to the or downloading the show and listening to the episode. So let's just jump right into the conversation with uh, Tom DeFalco. Tom, welcome to Comic Shenanigans. Thank you for doing the show.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Um, so I guess we should maybe go back, um, people who haven't heard you on other podcasts or write other interviews with you, what's, I guess, your co- your background with comics before you entered the industry as a writer and as an editor, That I should say?
1: In comics
0: or before comics? Uh, before actually working in the industry, but your kind of background with the comic medium in general. Well, you know,
1: before comics... Uh before comics, uh, I, uh, you know, I was going to college, and while I was in college, I, had, you know, written, a, written and sold a few short stories, worked for a weekly newspaper, worked for PR, you know, the college PR uh, firm, um, did press releases, uh, it, interviews, um, and, and basically you know, whatever writing work I could, I could scare up. Um, you know, after I graduated, I was, uh, you know, interested in, you know, trying to eventually break into comic script work as, a, as opposed to comic uh, book work. I, I forgot to mention while I was in college, I was also working on a, on a weekly comic script. Um, and eventually I, I got a job at Archie comics, uh, I remember my first uh, assignment was to open the mail for Dear Betty and Veronica, Um, just to see if there were, you know, people included the quarters to join the Archie Club in that mail by mistake. Um, And from there, I started to do some proofreading and some coloring and some paste up. And I I basically learned the industry from the ground up. Um, And... Eventually started writing the one-page Archie gags. And, uh, you know, after a couple of months, graduated to doing five-page and six-page stories. And then, you know, eventually got to do a, a two-part story, which for Archie was, uh, a you know, a whole 11 pages. Uh, and while working for Archie, I... I also started to do some freelance for Charlton Comics and then eventually DC Comics and then eventually Marvel Comics and from the rest is history.
0: What was it like writing for Arch- Archie and uh, like the, the, those types of books? I mean, obviously, it's a very different type of muscle.
1: Um, it was, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, you know, considered myself um, both, you know, an adventure writer for for you know, in terms of prose, um, and um, otherwise a, a humor writer, and uh, you know did a bunch of you know all, all sorts of humor writing. Um, I eventually got into, uh, I guess, the straight stuff, the superhero stuff, uh, thanks to Joe Orlando uh, at DC Comics. Uh, I was. I did a couple of commercial jobs for Joe. And um, at one point he asked me if I was interested in doing any, you know, straight, straight stuff. And I remember saying to him, Joe, that superhero stuff looks so hard. I I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. And he said to me, don't be ridiculous. You need to be able to, you know, craft the stories. You can do that. You need to have a good sense of character. You have that. And here's the kicker. It doesn't have to be funny. He said, they're paying you the same rate and you're only doing half the job. (laughs) And I thought, wow, they're paying you the same rate and it doesn't have to be funny. You know, that's over half the work. So I said, okay, let me try doing a a superhero thing. And uh, I think the first thing they gave me, um, Denny O'Neill called me up. He was the editor and asked me to write a love story. Um, and I, I still remember the title after all these years. I Won't Kiss That Evil Way. They gave me a title, said, Come Up With a Story. I don't remember the story, but I remember the title. <laughs> uh, and um, and then eventually they had me do some stories in their in their horror anthologies. And um, and then I started working on uh, Jimmy Olsen and then Lois Lane and Superboy and you know, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, Starfire, Lord the Unconquered. Um, you know, got to do a lot of different muscles. In those days, you were trained to do, to to exercise many different muscles. And um, you know, and I'm still that kind of writer where you know I like to do a, a wide variety of, of things
0: you ever wish you'd stayed at D.C. longer?
1: Um, I, to be honest, up until you asked that question, it never occurred to me. Um, while I was at D.C., um, at, at a certain point, um, I started to do some work for Marvel. Uh, that, you know, uh, Jim Shooter uh, had seen some of my D.C. stuff and said, you know, why don't you do some stuff for us? So I did some stuff from Marvel and, um, DC, uh, had this thing called, um, the DC implosion. Mm-hmm. And it, and, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what happened. They canceled half their books and, uh, put a lot of guys out of work. And I was one of the guys that, you know, was out of work because I was only, you know, I, you know, I wasn't one of their contract guys. So they put me out of work and I, uh, you know, started to do, you know, well, I was always doing things for Archie. Um, and, uh, you know, did, did, did some other stuff, and then eventually, uh, you know, it, it occurred to me a couple of weeks later that I should have called Marvel and asked them if they had any work. Uh, and, uh, yeah, not, not too bright. Um, and I did call Marvel, and they did have some work for me, and... You know, and then I started writing regularly for Marvel.
0: How would you describe your writing style then, as compared to now?
1: Um. Yeah, that, I don't know. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, to be honest, I don't pay that much attention to my writing style. Um, I try to craft know the, the story around the particular character I'm doing you know, the kind of stuff I'm doing if I'm you know doing a you know a uh, you know hard-boiled detective you know, you know, hard-boiled detective stuff calls for very you know spare sparse um, kind of writing style and You know, humor, you know, humor, you just want really punchy dialogue. Um, You know, certain types of material. For some reasons, sword and sorcery uh, tends to be more lyrical. Hmm. Um, You know, so it it, it all depends on the the basic assignment. And and to be honest, I think style is something that... uh, you know, style is for the readers to look at and for you know, us writers to just nod our head yes that's exactly what I was thinking
0: <laughs> how would you um, in terms of scripting do you still do kind of Marvel method or are you becoming more full script or how, what is your process of collaboration with your uh, illustrator
1: it, it all depends uh, again it all depends on the illustrator that I'm dealing with I'm dealing with a um, you know, an artist like Ron Friends or Pat Olive or, you know, uh, Paul Ryan. It's really a waste of my time to do a full script because whatever visuals I can conceive, they can come up with better ones. Um, and, you know, those guys kind of like demand a, uh, a Marvel-style plot. Um, with, when, when you're doing humor material because the pacing is so important in, in terms of setting up your jokes and everything, uh, I prefer to do full script. Uh, full script or, or, um, or a storyboard. And I, I, I can't really draw, but I can do, do a, a fair storyboard uh, for humor.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, and, you know, sometimes with superhero stuff, you're not sure who the artist is going to be. Um, and, and, you know, and then you, you go for full script. Um, that actually, uh, you know, between yesterday and today, I had to do a five page, uh, Ben Grimm story, um, which I, I guess is going to appear in the last issue of the, of the current Fantastic Four series. And, uh, um, you know, that, that I decided to do full script. I, I knew they wanted Paul Ryan to it, but I knew the deadline. I, I had a hunch the deadline would be, you know, much too severe for Paul to be able to put his other work on, on the side to work on it. So sadly, Paul will not be doing it.
0: I'm excited to read that then.
1: Well, you know, I hope you like it. It's
0: you know, been too long since you've written The Fantastic Four.
1: it's been a few years
0: only a few few. right what i said only a few
1: yeah you know i you know i i lose track of the years
0: i think it might be something like almost 20 actually now that i think about it
1: yeah thank you for uh (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome Uh, yeah it's um you know i you know i i can tell you that um you know, as a writer, whatever I'm working on, I, I put my full attention. I um, I I, you know, I only know how to do it one way, which which is, you know, you know, balls to the wall. You know, make sure it means something to me, and uh, and just give it my my hundred percent ethic. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a very lucky guy, in that. It, I look at an assignment, and know that it's not gonna, it's not gonna evoke the right passion in me, and not make me fully committed to it. I, I, I'm lucky enough that I can pass on it. Um, and uh, you know, as a result of this, uh, you know, over the years I've passed on you know, many a project uh, because they were were not the right one for me at the right time.
0: Uh, I had a a question actually from, um, there's uh, the Marvel Masterworks uh, message board, and there's a few questions we had from some of the posters there. And one uh, particular poster named Dr. Doombot asked a question about if you could rewrite one storyline in particular from your uh, storied career, which would it be and how would you alter it? That's a tough one. Actually, as a proviso, maybe we could say during your FF run, any stories there you'd you'd like to alter if you could?
1: Um. There, there was during my FF run. There was a you know a period of time there where you know I, I was editor in chief and, and working on either Thor or Thunderstrike, and I had F, I was also working on FF, so I didn't have the opportunity. You know, I you know I, I, I was a bit of a wimp. I could only work twenty hours a day. Um, and, uh, you know, discovered that, that, you know, I had to let a number of issues, let other people script a number of the issues. Um, and, uh, I think sometimes the, the stories were a little too complicated because as I would read the scripts later on, I realized they had missed the point of the story. Um, so if, if I could go back and do anything, I'd, I'd rather go, go, back and do my own scripts. Um, I, you know, um, I you know, I feel like a big goofball because a lot of times, I you know I can't remember the actual stories from years ago. I'm, I'm more focused on the ones I'm doing now than than the ones I did, you know, that that I did last week. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'm going, you know, maybe I'm going to but I've always been senile then, because uh, I've always had the same problem.
0: Fair enough. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you've written so many different comics over the years and had such a long career. It's it's natural that not all the details would be as uh, as I guess uh, stick out the same as they would for a reader, right? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, the purpose of a story, um, as I as I see it, is. You know, you want to reach out and you want to touch a reader's heart or, or touch their brain. And, you know, every once in a while you actually succeed in doing that. That, you know, a story I've written I, I know has, you know, you know, has affected certain readers. Uh, they, they read it, it, touched them emotionally. Um, and it, as a result, it has stayed with them forever. Um, and, you know, as a writer, you know, that's the, just the most wonderful connection you can, you can make. Um, I, uh, you know, for years I tended to avoid comic book conventions. Um, mainly because, you know, when I was with Marvel, I had this big target on my chest. So I'd go to comic book conventions and everybody would tell me what was wrong with Marvel. (laughs) And, uh, and and just everybody spent all their time, you know, yelling at me and complaining to me, uh, which was my job to, to accept all that. But you know, after I wasn't with Marvel anymore, I thought I don't have to hear that stuff anymore. i you know, I can just, you know, lock myself in my room and write my stories for a while. Um, and you know, in the last bunch of months, I've, I've actually started to go out to comic book conventions for the first time in many many years. You know. I've, you know, I usually average maybe one or two a year, but now I'm, I'm going to a lot more. And um, I'm meeting a lot of fans who I can tell, you know, liked a lot of the stories. And, um, you know, it's, it's very touching to me and very, um, you know, it, it's nice to know that your work you know, your, your work had uh, meaning to, to people.
0: Speaking of, that's actually a nice segue. Um, both myself and um, uh, sometime co-host of the show, uh, Nathan Strzok, were huge fans of your uh, your take on the Green Goblin, the Phil your heroic Green Goblin. And I know for Nate especially, it def- definitely had a, a it was an, kind of an inspirational kind of thing, like just the, the, the impact that that character had on him, Growing up and uh, reading that character, and I kind of felt that the same. That you know, I was you know 13 years old, I think, when Green Goblin came out, and that was just really exciting new character. And so I've always really gravitated towards Phil York even though they've done some less than heroic things with him over the years. And I've just always been very appreciative of your work on that book.
1: Well, th- thank you very much. That you know, that was such such a goofball project. Um, you know. You know, I, I, I don't remember the details of how we, you know, how we decided or, or why we decided to do a book called The Green Goblin. Um, and, um, and I just, re, I remember, you know, figuring out who Phil York was um, and then describing him to an editor, you know, who looked at me and said, are you crazy? Nobody's going to want to, you know, read a, a comic book about a real loser because <laughs> you know, everybody used to look at Peter Parker and call him a loser. But Peter was never a loser. But Phil york really was kind of a loser. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and I explained, no, no, no. no. This, this guy's going to touch a lot of people, I think. Um, and then we we did the book and, and to our, our surprise it uh, you know a lot of a lot of readers embraced it at the time um, and uh, the, the book was actually doing quite well uh, but the, the company decided they wanted to bring back you know Norman Osborne as the green goblin so they uh, they decided we have, had to give up the name um, uh, which, which was a shame because I thought you know I thought we were just kind of hitting our stride. Um, but I think we, you know, wrapped up the series nicely. I, I, I remember feeling good the way the last issue ended.
0: Yeah. And I like, I like that you continue to use Phil when you're writing, um, I guess your second stint on Amazing Spider-Man as well.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I always forget. I I always forget. I I went back to Amazing Spider-Man, um. But yeah, I, I, I always like the character, and we also use Phil a lot in Spider Girl. Oh,
0: of course, that's right. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, I, I actually had one of one of my favorite scenes with Peter Parker and Peter Parker and and Phil Urich in, in the Spider Girl scene, um, where you know Peter saying you know P- Phil is saying something to to Peter saying. Um, so you, you, you want May to be spider Girl, or you don't want May? And Peter's saying, uh, you know, Phil, I want you to understand me. I don't I, I, I don't want my daughter messing around with this superhero stuff. And, and, and Phil going, yeah, I got you, Pete. I understand exactly what you're saying. And they, you know, the two of them ha- have this conversation where they both both walk away with completely opposite ideas of what the other guy was saying, um, and, and I think you know, about that having been in those kind of conversations so many times, I, I thought, man, this is the first time I've ever got a chance to really do that in comic books, and, uh, and I was just uh, that, that's one of the scenes that is stuck with me, and that you know, and I kind of liked. I don't know if you remember the scene.
0: I actually do. Um, I I read Spider Girl for most of its run, but I definitely remember that scene in particular. So that was relatively early on in the run, I believe.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. It's when you know Peter is basically telling Phil, you know, not to help her, but Phil is like reading between the lines and thinking Peter is saying, "Yes, you should help her. You should encourage her," um, and. Uh, the standard miscommunications that happen so often in real life.
0: Exactly. Uh, a question about the MC2 universe. Um, was it originally supposed to be called Excelsior Comics?
1: No. Excelsior Comics was supposed to be something
2: else.
0: Okay. Because I remember seeing the inserts that the relative, like. Or, I guess Spider Girl had been talked about. They were showing that Spider Girl was coming, and they kept saying Excelsior Comics, but not saying what that was or where, where Spider Girl was. So I was always just curious what that was about.
1: Now, Excelsior Comics was a line of comics that Stanley was going to edit. Um, I, I, you now, for some reason, Stan decided he wanted to edit comics again. So he was going to. Um, be the main editor and a gentleman by the name of Rod Tokar who eventually um, became the editor-in-chief of one of the manga companies and, and forgive me, I cannot remember which one now um, and event, eventually I think Rob is in animation at this stage of the game um, but uh, this was a, a line of you know, a, a more adult line of superhero comic kind of books that, that Stan was going to edit. I was actually going to do Um But, no, um, the MC2 thing, you know, was a whole different thing. Um, you know, a, MC2 was, you know, I, I, I blame Bob Harris. <laughs> we... Ron friends and I Were working on A title called What if Mm -hmm. And uh Well I I was assigned To write what if And I came up with You know The idea of doing The spider girl story And called Ron And um And And then Since he and I Always worked together We You know Crafted the story together And I remember As we were finishing up The story Ron said Um geez, this was a fun character. You think we could do another one? And I said, nah, you know, it's, it's what if, you know, maybe in a year or two, we might be able to do a you know, sequel, but you know, that could be it. Um, and, um, and I guess that issue of what if, uh, sold a lot better than anybody thought it would sell. Uh, and Bob Harris came to me one day and said, oh, you know, one of, one of your what if sold very well. Um, and I said, oh, which one? He said, uh, the one you did with Ron. And I, and we'd done the Thunderstrike one, which I thought that, that's the one he was talking about. Oh. And he said, no, 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 it was, it was with the Spider-Girl thing. The one that you put in a proposal to, to do a new series. I said, I didn't put in a proposal to do a new series. He said, but I saw a bunch of these, you know, these sketches for the characters. I said, well, you, you know, you know, Ron. Whenever he's going to, you know, do characters, he always, you know, has to do all sorts of sketches. You know, you know how how does Mary Jane look fifteen years from now? How does Peter Parker look fifteen years from now? So he had to do all sorts of model sheets, and then he did model sheets because the you know the Avengers appear in one panel and Fantastic Four appear, you know. The, in the panel so he had to do model sheets for all of those characters and um, and I had given all the model sheets t- to the editor afterwards and he said yeah well you know we're thinking of doing this thing where we put three comics in the bag you want to do six issues of this spider girl thing and uh, two other titles and I said yeah sure what, what are the two other titles he said I don't care it's, it could be the Avengers of the, of the Fantastic Four He said, but you know what? I want to do, one of the titles should be that little juggernaut character. (laughs) I said, little juggernaut? He said, yeah, it was in the background of the Avengers thing. I'm thinking, little juggernaut? I don't remember a little juggernaut. And and then I realized, oh no, that was supposed to be the juggernaut. But you know, Bob wanted a little juggernaut so we came out with, you know, I thought about it, but we came out with what, what eventually became J2 and we decided to do Avengers next, and you know, and we we're off and running.
0: I was always a huge fan of uh, Avengers Next, actually. When I was when I was younger, again, I was kind of first, kind of starting to buy a lot more comics, and that was one of the ones I was very devoted to because I always loved a next.
1: Well, then I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, a sales pitch here. Okay. Um, in the upcoming Secret Wars uh, extravaganza. Uh, there's going to be a title, I think, called Spider-verse, Spider Verse, Spider Verse Island, or something like that. Okay. And um, uh, we, uh, Ron, friends, and I, they had asked us to do a Spider Girl story recently, and I guess it uh, it uh, created, you know, a nice little stir. Um, and so they invited us back to do a thirty page story with the uh, spider girl and, and the avenger next characters
0: oh that's awesome so,
1: so we're going to be you know we're go back to bringing back all your favorite or well, most of your favorite avenger next characters
0: that is very exciting because yeah those especially those first 12 issues originally of a next um i reread them recently like they still hold up really well and they're just um a lot of fun i guess that's a, a nice thing about all your mc2 books is generally there are just a lot of more fun than a lot of the other marvel books being published when they first came out
1: yeah well you know we were i think superhero comic books should be fun you know they're supposed to be escapist literature um you know they, they should be enjoyable Like, you know i You know, if I want to do grim and gritty, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, write a hard-boiled detective novel, and then I can do all the grim and gritty stuff I want because when you pick up a hard-boiled detective novel, you're expecting grim and gritty. Um, But you know, I, I think, you know, these days so many comic books, you know, they, they make you want to slip your wrists. (laughs) You know. And, and I, I don't know, if I had superpowers, I'd be having a blast, you know. So I, you know I try to make sure that, you know, my characters are walking on, you know, walking on walls or climbing ceilings or flying through the air. They're having a great time because I know I would.
0: Well, I agree with you. Uh, sw- switching gears for a second, uh, back to Fantastic Four. When you were writing it, I mean, obviously you wrote it for many years, Did you have kind of a a larger overarching plan or were you just kind of taking every month as it came and just telling a good adventure story each time?
1: Well, at any given point, I knew where the next, I'm going to say four or five issues were were going. You know, so, you know, I I, I had a, you know, um, with with every book I work on, I, I create a kind of flow chart for myself. Um, so that I know, like the next, you know, four or five issues, six issues, that sort of stuff. I know these days, six issues is one story. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: but I, you know, you know, to be honest, I get bored after two issues. So I try to keep, you know, limit, limit the number of issues I'm I'm devoting to one story.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, and, um. You know, so at any given point, I always knew, you know, five or six issues ahead. Now, with most flow charts, you know, it would be, a, you know, a fairly straight flow chart. But the Fantastic Four, I remember, the flow chart started to spread up and down, sideways across my wall, because we had, you know, the four, the four main characters, and then each of them had people around them that had other subplots. You know, and. It, and it just kept growing and growing. Um, You know, uh, you know, I, I, I look at, at the, the Fantastic Four, and I see, this is a, this is a family soap opera, set against science fiction. Um, But it, you know, you know, it was a soap opera, set against space
2: opera. Mm -hmm.
1: I think that these days, a lot of guys keep trying to do, you know, hardcore science fiction. And hardcore science fiction doesn't really work in comics. Space opera works great, but hardcore science fiction, not so much. Um, you want to do hardcore science fiction, you know, I, I still think the best, you know, venue for that is prose. Um, because, you know, sometimes... You, you, you know, you're dealing with a mathematical formula that, you know, takes up two or three pages of you know, a prose copy explaining, you know, the ideas behind it. Um, or maybe that's just me. But, uh, you know, in comics, we, we just don't have that leeway. Uh, every word is a, is, is a precious commodity in comics, uh, just like, you know, uh, we, we share that with film i you know I, I admire the guys who come up with all these you know, intricate ideas but I, I sometimes think that they're they're, you know, they're in the wrong media. Um,
0: with regards to the soap opera aspect it seems like almost immediately from your, your when you jumped on FF that you were already you know you brought in leisure obviously as the scroll were you never a fan of the Johnny Storm and Alicia Masters relationship?
1: Um, that, that never quite worked for me. Um, it, it it just, it just didn't seem right that Johnny would steal his best friend's girl. Um, but just, you know, there was always something not quite right about that. Uh, and especially, you know, they had established early on that, that Alicia looked so much like Johnny's sister uh, looked like Sue uh, and I just, I just couldn't buy that a guy is gonna you know, you know not only steal his best friend's girl but his best friend's girl who looks like his sister <laughs> well just, that is a soap opera I, I, I gotcha you, but you know there was something never quite right there um, now the idea of, you know, Alicia being a scroll, that actually came from Mark Blumwald and, and Ralph Macchio. Um, at one point, you know, years before I took over the FF, they, they were, the three of us were sitting around a swimming pool. Um, and, and Ralph and, and Mark were discussing this um and saying you know what, what would make sense if, if this was a scroll and, and she was there deliberately to target the ff and you know then disappeared so she she targeted johnny and blah 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 and I, you know and i remember listening you know half listening to it not really paying attention um and and you know mark and and ralph were you know having a very serious discussion and they turned to me and said well what do you think and i said well it's really you know not up to me i'm not connected to the ff in any way and i think ralph was editing the book and i said ralph you're the editor this is the idea that you like you should talk to your writer and I, I i don't know who the writer was at the time um and uh you know and then they dropped it and then you know a couple of years later, um, I." Uh, you know, to my surprise, I ended up on the world, uh, on, on the, the fantastic floor. I got to follow Walt Simonson again. <laughs> Anybody want to, you know, you want to kill your career? Follow, keep following Walt Simonson on a book. <laughs> you
2: know,
1: because um, you know it's really good for the ego. Because wherever you go, people say, "Well, when's Walt coming back?" <laughs> um, and. Uh, and, you know, they, Ralph said to me, well, what, what's the first story you're going to do? And I said, well, um, you know, you had this idea about you know, Alicia being, you know, being a squirrel, and I de- described it to him, and he didn't remember the idea. And he said, but, hey, I really like that. I said, well, it's your idea. And he goes, no, it isn't. He said, well, it's Mark's idea. And I talked to Mark. Mark didn't remember it either. And I said, listen, you guys came up with this idea. And they, they, they stared at me blankly because they didn't remember the conversation, but I, I, I have no idea why I remembered it. And I said, listen, guys, I'll tell you what, if, if anybody likes the idea, I'll give you guys credit. If uh, anybody doesn't like the idea, I'll take the blame. <laughs> and they said, okay, sounds good. So for at least the first uh, five or ten years, I was taking the blame. You know, now people seem to like the idea, so I'm giving them the credit.
0: I always thought it was a cool concept. It makes well, a lot of sense. It, you
1: know, it explained, a, it just explained a lot of things. Um, and, it, you, know, um, you, know, I, you know, I've always had this theory in comics that you should always move forward. And you shouldn't, um, forget, forget what they call it, when you go back and you change something, from the past
0: like a retcon
1: Uh, retcon i I didn't believe in retcons i I think you you should always move forward wherever the heck you are um and this was my one retcon and for years uh, people were complaining to me about it and i said well you know i should have known better than to do a retcon i'll never do another retcon (laughs) um and also around that time people were saying uh Oh, this is similar to a legion of superhero stories. Similar to a legion of superhero stories, and I never knew what the heck they were talking about, because um, I was uh, not a big fan of the, you know, the legion of superheroes. Um, matter of fact, I uh, I used to buy adventure comics uh, as a kid, and at one point, the legion of superheroes took it over and they kicked Superboy out of his own book. And uh, that's when I stopped buying adventure comics.
0: Oh, really? <laughs>
1: um, you know, and, uh, and a couple of years ago, I was working on this book called Legion Lost, which was connected to the Legion of Superheroes. And I finally found out, um, reading up on, on on characters in the in the Legion, to, you know, so that I could understand them better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I finally found out that you know, yes, the Legion had actually done a similar story where a shape-changer had, you know, had targeted somebody and, you know, had married them under false pretenses. So, you know, 20 years after the fact, I finally figured out, you know, why people were criticizing the story.
0: (laughs) Uh, Uh, Keeping on uh, your FF run, you took out Reed Richards for uh, quite a while. I mean, I think he was dead for over two years. What led to your decision to kind of kill him off for a while? Um, you
1: know, i really, you know, I'm really not sure. I thought, um, you know, it's hard to go back to figure out why, you know, why it just seemed a natural thing, but I had noticed that pretty well everybody who took over the FF, um, you know, they basically, you know, everybody had, you know, their, their Doom story, their Doctor Doom stories. And, um, and most of the Doctor Doom stories were, you know, new versions of old stories we had seen before. Um, and I, you know, I kept thinking, what can you do with Doom that, you know, you've never done before? And um, and I thought, you know, what if he, he has to sacrifice himself to save his land? Um, and I thought, no one's ever going to buy the Doom, you know, you know that anybody killed Dr. Doom. Because, um, you know, Dr. Doom had routinely been killed. Uh, I thought, you know, the only way it could kind of work and we could get the readers to kind of buy it is if when Doom goes, he takes somebody with him. I thought the natural thing is that Doom and, and Reed go, go together. Um, and, uh, and 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 part of the you know, part of what we built into the story because I thought, you know, the readers are never gonna believe that we actually killed Reed. So basically every issue you have Sue saying, I can't believe Reed is really dead <laughs> you know? He's got to be alive. He's got to be somewhere. You know, we got to keep looking. Reed can't be dead. Uh, and and basically, she that's what she kept saying all all the time. She was uh, you know, all the time Reed was gone. Um, you know, up until uh, it was issue, issue was it issue four hundred.
0: He's around there?
1: Yeah, issue four hundred. Everybody assumed that. Come issue 400, that'll be the return of Reed. Everybody assumed it. And instead, I had issue 400, once we hit 400, I had to finally accept that Reed was gone. And they finally had a, uh, a uh, you know, she finally allowed there to be a memorial service and, and it was finally over. Because I knew I was gonna bring Reed back of four issues. Because I thought, hey, you know, you don't have to bring Reed back in issue 400. People, everybody's going to buy issue 400, but issue 404 or 405—that's the issue where you need to jump sales by having Reed come back. So, Uh,
0: along the lines of your FF run, I just wanted to ask a question about what was kind of behind the idea of both aging Franklin um, and also bringing Nathaniel Richards back into play as a major character. Because I, one of my first issues of Fantastic Four when I was growing up was issue, I think, 395. And a big focus in that particular issue happened to be on Nathaniel Richards. And I was just interested, what kind of had you bring the character back from relative obscurity? Well, you
1: know, I I was a big fan of John Byrne's run on the Fantastic Four. Um, I, I, you know even though he was the guy that, you know, had Johnny marry Alicia. Um, I, you know, I thought he had introduced a very intriguing character in the Nathaniel Richards. Um, you know, somebody who, you know, had a brilliant mind like Reeves, but was a bit of a, was a bit of a huckster, a con man. Somebody who you never quite knew what the heck he was up to. Um, and I thought, yeah, you know, that could be an intriguing thing. And you know, you know, the problem I saw with Franklin is, you know, as a young kid, um, it really didn't make sense for them to be traveling all over the universe, bringing Franklin, Franklin around. So you could do what Stan did, which is, you know, basically dump him somewhere. You know, um, you know, Stan gave him to Agatha Harkness and, and basically wrote him out of the series for a while. Um, or you could, uh, you know, do something unexpected. And um, and I, I thought when, uh, you know, uh, Nathaniel kind of kidnaps Franklin and then he comes back as a teenager was like, wow, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and, and I, I wanted the I wanted the fantastic 4 to be a roller coaster ride that was focused on, on the on the main team but you never had an idea of what was going to happen next so I just kept trying to figure out you no know, you know what what would surprise me and just, you know and, you know, and I, I can't take credit for all the ideas. I you know, I gotta share them with Paul Ryan because he and I were collaborators, so he and I would bounce ideas off his head, you know, off each other's heads and every once in a while we go, Whoa, wait a minute, I what are you kidding? We can't do that and as soon as I would hear we can't do that, that's of course what we do. <laughs>
0: Um, During your run, uh, the thing kind of um, infamously got scarred by Wolverine and started wearing, the, I guess, the bucket of shame, as it came to be known. Um, Was that more your or Paul Ryan's idea?
1: Um, Did you like the idea?
0: (laughs) Uh, I thought it was interesting.
1: Well, if you liked the idea, it was Paul's. If you didn't like it, it was mine. I honestly don't remember who came up with the idea, but I thought... Um, I remember that bucket of shame from, I think it was fantastic Four number four, I'm going to say, but, or issue issue three, the issue where they got the costumes, Mm. because it it was originally supposed to be the things, you know, the thing was supposed to wear a mask and he dumped it in in the first issue, but, um, you know, I thought, ah, come on, Uh, Let's let's have some fun and, and do some things we've never seen before. And I thought, you know, if anybody, anything could scar the, the thing, those, you know, those claws of Wolverine could do it. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we wanted to give, you know, Ben was too comfortable in his own skin. We had to, you know, shake him up.
0: Now, um, along the same lines. The Invisible Woman had a bit of a, a wardrobe change during your run. Um, again, was that more dictated by anything in the script, or is that more uh, again the artist's idea, or where did that kind of come from? Because it was much more, I guess, sexualized than previously Sue had been.
1: Well, yeah, the, um, you know, Paul and I decided that you know we had to remind the readers that. Sue Storm, uh, Sue Richards, was a sexy woman. That um, she was a beauty. Uh, you know, Namor saw her once and immediately fell in love with her. Um, and, but over the years, people started to look at Sue as, you know, you know, as their mother, um, and, and really weren't looking at her as, you know, an attractive woman. And we thought come on. You know, we, we, we've got to shake things up so we, we worked out a storyline where her malice personality was coming out again even though she was not fully aware of it and thought okay so what would what what would malice wear um, and, and backtracked from there so yeah we went out of our, 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 you know, went out of our way to you know try to remind the readers that you know hey this is one hot chip you know, one hot chick there, so, you know, come on, guys. And, and you know, a lot of readers were scandalized because, they, you know, I think so many readers were, were looking at Sue as if, you know, as if she was the mother figure and had forgotten that, uh, you know, even older women can be pretty damn attractive. Um, you know, uh Maybe it's a function of my age, but I know, I, I know a lot of hot fifty-year-olds. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I even know a you know really hot sixty-year-old. So, you know, a couple of hot sixty-year-olds, uh, you know, and I'm very happy about that. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's all a matter of perspective.
0: Um, a question: You said before that you're always trying to kind of go forward. With their stories, now obviously that sometimes maybe isn't always the case. When you were ending your Fantastic Four run, Franklin was finally restored to kind of his child self. Was that a decision that you had made that you wanted to bring the character back to? Or was that more of an editorial edict? Or where did that come from?
1: Well, you know, I, um, around that time, uh, you know, they... The Marvel executives had had made a deal where they were going to give the um, a couple of the titles to the image guys, um, and this was done you know, primarily to uh, boost the stock price, had nothing to do with the editorial, with the uh, sales of the comics or anything, um, so it, it was time to wrap up my run. Uh, so... You know, the plan had always been: at the end, we restore Franklin. You, you know, when in my day, you you would, when you took over a title, you would take the characters, you'd, you know, you'd look at them like toys and you'd play with them and have a grand, grand time with them. But then, as your, as your run was coming to an end, you put them all back in the toy box just the way they were, so that the next guy could. Um, you know, basically have as much fun with them as you did, so, um, I was essentially tying up my run. I was not supposed to do the last two issues of the Fantastic Four, um, but, you know, at the last minute they, you know, asked me to, you know, and ended up asking me to first do the plots and then do the script. So, you know, you know, they, it, it was my plan to, to, you know, bring Franklin back and,
0: and everything. Okay, well, that's interesting, because I was just always curious, because it always seemed like you were developing the character and then regressed him, but I guess it makes sense to kind of restore the status quo, more or less, before you left.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, that, you know that's what professionals did in those days.
0: Uh, switching gears, we haven't really talked about your long and storied run on, the, on Thor yet. Yeah. Um, With regards to Thor, actually, this is another listener question. Uh, Looking back on your run on Thor and Thunderstrike, it seemed that you telegraphed early on that Eric's story would have a tragic end. Was there more you planned to do with the character, or was his ending always planned to be permanent?
1: Um, well, we had always planned to, you know, we always knew that Eric's, you know, um... You know, the situation was going to, was going to, uh, end tragically.
2: Um,
1: we telegraphed that from the first time, from the first time we see, from the first time we meet, uh, Eric, uh, you know, the first time he meets Thor, he's in an accident that damages his leg, and that leg is damaged throughout the whole series. And, uh, the second time that Eric, uh, Eric appears or you know looks at him and, and can sense that you know there will be a tragic um, future for him and, and 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 we did it again and again uh, with Eric we, you know constantly tried to warn the readers please don't get too attached to this character because <laughs> <No. laughs> be- because we knew what, what was ultimately going to happen to him Um, Our original plan was, um, you know, towards the end of our Thor run, we, you know, had a, you know, you know, Eric was going to take, you know, basically take the hammer and he was going to go to Earth and and Thor was going to go to Asgard, uh, prepping to become, you know, eventually to become king of Asgard. And then, uh, Eric was going to get into a battle, which, you know, ultimately would cost him his life and Thor would have to come back and, you know, and, and take over the store again. Um, as we were prepping that story, um, the sales department came in and, and said to us, uh, um, the, uh, the sales on, on Thor had risen so much, um, uh, since we had introduced Eric and, and they said well what's your plan and we said you know, blah, blah 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 and Eric dies in this issue and I said what? and he said yeah and they said oh, no 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 you can't do that you can't do that we want to spin Eric off into his own book and I said spin Eric off into his own book and um, and this was one, one of the few times where the sales department kind of ganged up on me and said yeah yeah and, um, you know, I said, yeah, you can't kill them off. you got to spin them off. Um, and I, you know, and they showed me the sales projections and stuff, and I said, wow. Um, yeah, let me rethink this. So Ron and I had a conversation. I said, uh, you know, what do you think about spinning Eric off? And, 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 you know, and we realized it just made so much sense that, it, you know, Sense on, on every possible level, so we decided to do that. We we eventually came up with the name Thunderstrike, um, and uh, and and the book was, you know, quite successful. At, well, at the time it was canceled, Thunderstrike was actually outselling Thor and the Avengers combined.
0: Wow. Uh, but uh, you know,
1: Marvel was going through some. Strange changes at that stage, uh, uh, and uh, you know they decided to cancel. You know the, the choice was either cancel Thor or cancel Thunderstrike, and you know, you know financially they should have canceled Thor, but you know who the hell is going to cancel Thor? Uh, that, but uh, uh, you know, and, and you know when, when the time came to. To do, you know, launch Eric off into his own book. Ryan and I were just trying to figure out, you know, what the hell, what the heck are we gonna do? Um, you know, are we going to stay with Thor? Or are we gonna go with Eric? You know, you know, what do we do? Um, we eventually decided to go with Eric. There was a while there where I was debating about whether or not I should give up Fantastic Four and, and write Thor. Thor and Thunderstrike and thought, you know, don't be crazy, you know, <laughs> you don't want to write two books, you know, yeah, Thor and, and Eric are two different guys, but, you know, they were just too similar to do to do that sort of thing, but, you know, I, I needed more diversity in my life, so, I, you know, I gave up writing Thor and, and, and to Thunderstrike. I hope I answered your
0: question. No, definitely. It's interesting. Basically, your answer seems to indicate that you ended up writing a lot more of Thunderstrike than you ever would have originally anticipated. So we actually got more stories than we should have. Yeah,
1: you got. Uh, I think twenty four extra issues that you wouldn't have that you wouldn't have forgotten.
0: Um, I, sorry, go know, ahead. And and
1: you know when we did Thunderstrike, we really concentrated on you know on Eric and and we got. You know, you know I thought th- we got to tell some very personal stories
0: what was um, obviously when you started writing A Next your I guess Kevin was more or less kind of your focal point Avenger for most of those first 12 issues what was it like to be able to kind of use that character um, and kind of tell more of the Masterson story
1: Um, it was an interesting thing because you know that you know once Thunderstrike was canceled, you know, almost immediately Ron came up with the designs for, for Kevin uh, and had them on his his art table for like, I don't know, two, three years before, you know, we started to do Avengers Next. Um, and I, I remember, you know, when the idea came to do three comic books, I thought, Okay, so Ron will do this Spider-Girl book. I wanted to you know, put Pat Olive on a book, and he had kind of a Neil Adams kind of illustrative quality. I thought he'd be perfect for the uh, Avengers next book. And I thought that uh, you know, Ron Lim, I, I had a really goofy idea for J2, and I thought Ron Lim can, is, is the right artist to carry off that kind of goofiness. And uh, you know, so I was—I figured out who, you know, you know how how, how it would go down. And then Ron says, "No, no, no, I have to do the book with Kevin in it." And I said, "Kevin," and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, it's got to be Kevin. You know, Kevin's our our entree character. That's the book. I have to, I have to do that book you know, because I've had that design on my on my art portrait like two or three years, and I, you know, I really need to get it out of my system. I really have to do that." Okay, well, then you you and Pab will (laughs) switch. And and it worked out fine. Uh, Because right after A Next, Ron went on to do The Buzz.
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot about The Buzz.
1: (laughs) Which, you know, was another character that we we just had a lot of fun with.
0: And Dark Uh, Dark Devil, too, I would imagine.
1: And Dark Devil. You know, uh, we were always. Now our goal was always to, you know, enjoy ourselves because I figured if we enjoyed the, the material we were doing, that would translate and the readers would like it too. Um, so you know, we, we we're doing all sorts of nonsense in those days. Just just having fun.
0: Um, now, you, in your run on the Thor, obviously you created the New Warriors. What was that like, knowing that they, I guess they were going to spin off into their own book?
1: Um. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I wanted to do a, a you know a, a teen superhero team, teen, teen superhero team, um, because I you know I think you know people would you know Marvin and uh, and George did the, the Teen Titans. Um, but then after they were getting off the book, anybody who came on the book, you know, they're going to drop the teen. We're just going to call them the Titans because they're, they're grownups now. They're, they're this and that. We don't want to do teen books. You know, and I used to look at the demographics and say, you know, the most of our readers start reading about 13 years old, you know, 12, 13 years old. And then, you know, as they get to around 16, where they discover sex in cars, you know sex and cars or sex all cars money suddenly becomes finite and then you lose them to like you know till they're in their in, in their 20s and for the 20 year olds we have plenty of titles but for that, that that teen group we didn't have that many titles so i wanted to do one that was you know focused you know teenagers um and um so i came. you know I, I couldn't convince anybody else to do it you know, a, a team of teenagers. So it's just the heck with it. You know, I'll, I'll come up with the team and, and, you know, and we'll put it on the schedule and we'll just, we'll just do it. Um, you know, luckily, uh, Fabian Nicieza and, and Mark Bagley took over the book and they did a fabulous job on that book. That was one of my favorite books for the, for the longest time, the book that they were doing, The New Warriors. I, I just love what they did on that.
0: No, I guess you created Night Thrasher. I mean, obviously the other members of the New Warriors were previous, uh, previously existing characters. What was behind your concept for Night Thrasher?
1: All right. Secrets behind comics. So our, our distributor was uh, you know, called Cadence. And I used to talk to the distributors on a regular basis to try to figure out what is popular. I said to them at one point, what magazines do you have that are, you know, selling to teenage boys? And they said, oh, we've got these books, these magazines called Thrash and Thrasher. We can't keep them on the stands. These are the biggest selling magazines we have to teenage teenagers and teenage boys today. I said, Thrash and Thrasher, and they're all about skateboarding. And I said, okay. So I grabbed a bunch of the magazines, studied them, read, read the articles and that sort of stuff. And I said, we, we have to come out with a, you know, a, a skateboard character that we can use. Because if this is what's really popular today, then, you know, we should exploit this. Um, and I thought, oh, well, I can't use the name Thrasher, so I'll call him Night Thrasher. And, uh, and, and that's where Night Thrasher came from. Interesting. Yes, pure commercial. thinking.
0: <laughs> um, one thing I haven't asked about, but I've been meaning to, is uh, with regards to your, I guess, your first run on Amazing Spider-Man, you created the Sinister Syndicate as a as a team and as a concept. What was kind of behind creating that that team?
1: Um. Well, I I, I think that uh, in the first Spider-Man annual, they had the Sinister Six. And I thought that was really cool. A bunch of, you know, whole team of, you know, Spider Man's top enemies that could, uh, you know, attack and fight him. And um, I thought, well, you know, we haven't seen something like that in, in a bunch of years. So let's, let's come up with something else that, you know, kind of follows that, that pattern. And, you know, and then, you know, we made it difficult for, for Peter by, I think we, sprained his ankle or something like that because we're always trying to figure out new ways to to peter um and we got Silver sable and the sandman involved and you know i don't know just kept throwing elements to make make life interesting
0: Uh, that was actually i think probably the first amazing spider-man issue i ever read was those two issues, uh, it was reprinted in a Marvel Tales in the early 90s, and I remember reading those, and I was instantly hooked on it, and it was, yeah, I, just something about the Sinister Syndicate has always been one of my favorite kind of teams and concepts, even though it's not really used that often. Um, but you guys did such a great job on it that I've always really gravitated towards, you know, those particular characters. Even It's such a weird, motley crew, but I've always really enjoyed them. Thank
1: you. I'm glad you did. We, you know, I know... You know, we, we, Ron and I just had a, a, a wonderful time on Amazing Spider-Man because we were just, we were just thrown all sorts of craziness against the wall. Um, our, our goal then, you know, when I, you know, I started with uh, Amazing Fantasy 15. I was one of those lucky guys. Um, and to me, you know, Spider-Man and, and Fantastic Four were the two comic books were. you know, every issue every other issue they introduced a brand new villain Um, so for our runs uh, for our run on uh, Amazing um, Spider-Man you know we felt it was our duty to just keep creating a bunch of new villains and I felt the same way when I took over the Fantastic Four you know I I didn't want to you know run through the uh, the greatest hits but you know they're paying us to
0: create so let's create um a question i wanted to ask you about your actually we were just talking about your first spider-man run but a, a question i do have about your second spider-man run is that um you know not too far into it you did bring back dr octopus from the death sorry from the dead because he had been killed off by kane earlier in the decade what was that something that you really wanted to do when you were taking over the book or does this was that something that didn't sit right with you that dr octopus was killed off Well,
1: that, that- Never made sense to me. Um, I, I remember, you know, we had a meeting and they were going to introduce this new guy, Kane, and they said, We'll, we'll show how tough Kane is by killing, having him kill Dr. Oppenheimer. And I, you know, I remember the other writers were really excited about the idea. I was the only one who protested and they said, you, you don't show how tough somebody is because you can kill, kill off somebody else. That's ridiculous. I said, Doctor Octopus is too good a character to give up, um, and uh, you know I was I was overruled, and then they worked out the storyline, and of course by dumb luck, I it ended up in my issue. I was the one who had to kill him, <laughs> and, and I and I said, oh, no, Danny, I don't want it to do this. And he said, No, no, it's, you, you have to do it. And uh, I remember turning in the first plot, and Danny looking at it and said. I can see two ways in this plot where you can bring bring octopus back. And I said, you only saw two ways? There are actually four ways in there. Um, And and then he said, okay, rewrite the plot, take out the the ways. (laughs) So I had to, you know, I think I had to do it three times before he said, okay, all right, I can't find any any ways. Do you have any ways? I said, yeah. He goes, all right. As long as I can't see him, don't worry about it. I said, Danny, you, you know that the first chance I get, I'm going to bring him back. He goes, yeah. I said, okay, as long as we know this. And, uh, and so I'd always felt that Dr. was eventually had to come back.
0: I actually always thought the... I mean, people always talk about death in comics and how it's not permanent. And, you know, the, the deaths not being real deaths. I always actually liked that you acknowledged that, no, he was dead. But then it was an arcane ritual of an offshoot of the hand that brought him back. I always thought that was a nice way of, of not devaluing the death, but also reversing it.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: because that, that you know ritual of of the hand had actually been established been established previously, so you know, we, we had our out.
0: What was um, when you were doing your second run? I mean that was a huge impact to me when I a reader because actually my first issue kind of buying on a regular basis Amazing Spider-Man was the first issue after the clone saga had just wrapped and you were starting your, you know, you'd already been on the book obviously, but you were starting your run with the True Believers and um, you know, bringing back a new version of the Rose and really developing that. What was your kind of idea there to kind of because you were doing a lot of gang war stuff, you were doing a lot of with ninjas. You did one of my favorite electro storylines of all time. What were you? Kind of, what was your kind of your plan or idea at the time, uh, coming out of the Clone Saga and having Peter back? Uh,
1: just to reestablish Peter and, and show that you know, we, you know that Peter was Spider-Man, and and you know we you know, we really missed and needed Peter around. Um, I've always thought Spider-Man worked better with gang wars. Levels, level shenanigans, as opposed to you know, big, super powerful, you know, uh, villains. Um, so that that's why I, I worked on the gang war stuff. You know? Plus, you know, I, I, you
2: know,
1: have a background in you know, hardball detective stuff. So it all it all fits in.
0: Was your uh, was your plan for the the second rose always to be Jacob Conover?
1: I you know, I honestly don't remember now. But I one thing I do remember: remember the green ninjas that showed up. Yep. Yeah, they were supposed to be the hand.
0: Oh, they weren't supposed to be the true believers.
1: No, they were supposed they were supposed to be the hand, but the artist decided to redesign the the. Uh, the costumes and that sort of thing, and, and uh, I remember looking and going, "What the heck is this?" And he said, "Oh yeah, I decided to come up with a brand new group of in-
2: ninjas."
1: So I said, "Oh, okay." So, you know, I ad-libbed from there because it's it's easier to change script than art.
0: Interesting. Uh, Again, it's one of those finding out the uh, the secret things that go on be- behind the comics, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So
1: um, we and I I remember looking when the comic book came out Buckman said what idiot decided these things were green
0: (laughs) Um, now during that run you did um, I guess the the issues where Peter pretended to be um, the new character Ricochet instead and as part of the uh, identity crisis storyline what was that kind of like breaking that storyline out because it was running in all four books at the time um yeah
1: I you know, I, I I remember. You know, I remember the guys. You know, when we decided to do it, said, so you know, we all have to come up with a new thing. And I thought, yeah, this is kind of ridiculous. A costume guy is going to you know, wear four other costumes. But I thought, ah, oh, well, if we play it right, it could work. And uh, you know, and Ricochet was. You know, years earlier, I worked on this character called Speedball. mm mm-hmm. and, and the first name I had for him was Ricochet. But I, the trouble with Ricochet is it just didn't work well as a logo. And I thought, ah, I could use the name again. And, um, and I could have Peter, you know, using his his spider agility to, you know, affect the, you know, to pretend he's bouncing around. Um so that's why i quote my character ricochet um, and you know to my surprise i ended up having a lot of fun with it and, and the readers seem to like that stuff a lot because those characters have come back again and again
2: um,
0: no was, i'm I'm, de- I'm definitely one of those
1: <laughs> you know and I, I think that you know I, you know i know this will sound awfully new age and stuff but i always believe that if the creators are really enjoying themselves and having a good time somehow that translates to the readers have a good time too
0: Hmm. now i do have some questions about your your tenure as the editor-in-chief as well okay um i guess let's let's start from one end what were what are kind of your, what are you most proud of accomplishing during your tenure as editor-in-chief of marvel
1: I think the thing I'm most proud of is the Marvel Masterworks. Um,
0: that was my next question, so I'm glad you went there.
1: Okay. Uh, the, the weirdest thing is uh, um, when I became editor-in-chief, I think I had the job for all of a week or so, and they pulled me in and they said, uh, you know, well, we're facing a, a, budget, uh, a budget problem that we have to raise, uh, I forget how much extra money. By the end of the year, see if you can figure out how to, you know, raise a. I think it was like a quarter of a million dollars in revenue. And I thought, "Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, huh?" And, uh, and I went home that night and thought, "Now, you know, if I was a, if I was a comic book fan, what is the one thing that I could really want?" And, I, and, and and you know and I think you know I just touched in my fan roots and I said you know the one thing I always dreamed about was hardcover versions of the comic books like ten issues of a of a comic book and a hardcover book and the next day I walked down there and, uh, and they had the meeting and I um, and I told them what I wanted to do and uh, you know I uh, the publisher and the president of the company looked at me like I was crazy. And, and the only one who got the idea was uh, Carol Kalish, who was in charge of the correct sales. And, and, and she said, hardcover versions of the first ten issues of, like, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. And she says, and of course, X-Men. And I said, yeah. And she goes, Yeah. And, um, and the, you know, the president turned to her and said, do, do you think these will actually sell? And she said, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, uh, and, and said, Uh, we don't have a budget problem anymore. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, because she was a comic book fan too, so she got it. And, and the first three books, um, yeah, the first three books you know did, did terrific uh, I mean, and they're still doing they still must be selling because they're still coming out with new masterworks every, every month and, and you know and I'm so proud that I you know I, I managed I wanted Marvel to behave more like a publishing company um, which to me meant you've got to do actual books and you know, I'm so proud that I introduced hardcover books to Marvel, and, and the Masterworks is you know, here. It is 20, maybe, maybe longer years later, Most those, those books are still coming out new. So I'm very proud of that. There's
0: a very devoted fan base.
1: As well, there should be. These, these are these are great books.
0: Well, they're they're well produced. I mean, the production qualities are high. So I mean. Not only is it you know important historical comics, but also the presentation is part of what's made them so enduring.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and, and you know the first the first three books, they weren't designed as well as they should have been. Um, but by the by the second year, we got the design down a lot better, and uh, you know, and I, I am so happy we did because the first three we had to kind of rush out, you know, and then DC later on came out with their, um,
0: archive editions, it? right?
1: Yeah. And I looked at the DC things and said, ah, man, you know, you see, they always follow us by two years and their stuff always looks better. <laughs> uh, but I thought, well, cause they have two years of hindsight behind, you know, they're always two years behind us. Um, because in in those days at Marvel we were just running so fast um, trying to keep ahead of everything Uh, DC DC would follow us by two years and and, and they always made things look better
0: (laughs) what do you think were the I guess the big successes during your tenure uh, as EIC
1: well you know uh, I, I think we you know, we, we expanded the line. Um, I, I remember I convinced, um, you know, I told the X-Men editor we're going to come out with a, we're going to come out with a Wolverine title, you know, a monthly Wolverine book. And Chris Claremont told me that'll never sell. Wolverine doesn't work by himself. It'll never sell. I said, okay, Chris, if you don't want to do it, we'll get somebody else to do it. I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. And uh, I managed to ex- expand, you know, you know the, the X-Men line. And uh, I managed to expand a bunch of other lines. When, You know, when I first took over, we had two things that were basically selling, Spider-Man and, and the X-Men. And we managed to bring up all the other lines. Got, you know, Avengers to sell very well and got... You know, the the Punisher books to sell well, and and we just expanded, you know, in all sorts of different directions. At one point, we were doing like 120 titles a month, and they were all selling well. You know, we were, you know, we were expanding, we were providing a lot of freelancers with a lot of work, Um, and, you know, the industry was just, just kept on growing and growing. It, it, It was you know, it was a true golden age of comics at that time. Uh,
0: when you were well, EIC, were there any concepts or other books that you would have liked to have had the chance to write, but because of your other scripting duties and pressures of being EIC, you weren't able to take on? Oh,
1: there was plenty of stuff.
0: Anything more. in particular you want to talk about, or
1: you know, one of the things that I had always wanted to do was a uh, Duke because I'm. I'm you know, a bit of a sword and sorcery freak. And I, have, I have always wanted to do Conan and just never got the opportunity to do it. Um, when I took over uh, the Fantastic Four, the, um, you know, the, the shells were not that good in terms of newsstand. Uh, they were decent and direct, not that good in newsstand. And uh, um, I had planned get them, you know, try to get the book to sell. And and we were lucky with the Fantastic Four. Every issue, the the sales went up, which was odd because the readers used to tell us how much they hated the book. (laughs) But every issue, the sales would go up. So I thought, yeah, keep on hating them. Um, And my plan at at, at a certain point, uh, Fabian had gotten off of New Warriors and sales had fallen on that. And I was going to round issue four. I, I was going to leave Fantastic Four around issue three ninety seven or something like that, and and take over the Warriors, um, and work on that book. Uh, but I got fired as editor in chief, and uh, you know, and uh, and then the company decided they wanted to keep me on Fantastic Four, um, and didn't want me to go, go to uh, Warriors, But there were, there were a lot of things. Like I wish I you know I, at one point I had wanted to do Dark Rock. Um, I just didn't have the time to do anything did it. And, and sadly did a much better job than I think I would have done.
2: <laughs> um, well,
1: I, the, uh, another title that I always wanted to do was Captain America. And um, you know, but I thought rumor was doing such a great job on it um you know he was doing such a great job on it that uh you know know, i just enjoyed reading his stuff and uh and after he got off it you know you know i didn't get a chance to you know they offered it to someone else instead of me I, i had never intended to do thor um uh, Ron friends and I, uh, um, were looking for a book to do at one point, and, um, we heard Daredevils open. And I, had, I called Ron and said, Hey, are you interested in doing Daredevil? He said, Yeah, yeah. So we put, put some ideas together and I went to Ralph Macchio, the editor, and said, Hey, I hear you're, you're interested in doing Daredevil. Uh, you, that, that, that you need, somebody to take over Daredevil. Ron and I would like to do it. And he said, oh man, I think you guys would do a terrific job on Daredevil. Said, but uh, right now, Thor is very late and I need to, you know, I need to concentrate on on getting Thor on time. So I need somebody to do a film on Thor. He said, would you do a filling for me on Thor? And I said, yeah, I'm sure Ron and I could do a do, uh, film. So I called Ron and I said, hey, you, you, you know, uh, Ralph is going to think of us for Daredevil, but in the meantime, you want to do a film for Thor. Ron said, "Oh yeah, I love Thor." So we, we came up with a story. You know, I don't I don't remember what our what our first story was. If it was if it was a Secret Wars tie-in or the Once in Future Thor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and you know, so we, we did a film um, and then Ralph said, uh, "Oh yeah, this is really good. I, I can use another one. Can you do another one?" And then we did whichever was the, the second one. I I don't remember which was the first, which was the second. And uh, so we did did the second film. And and in the meantime, we, we you know putting our our, our ideas down third, you know trying to figure out what we wanted to do with Daredevil. And then after doing two issues at Thor, I went to Ralph and I said, "So what do you think?" Do you have a book for us? he says, yeah, I, I have the perfect book for you guys. I said, Daredevil. He says, no, Thor. <laughs> I said, Thor? Ron and I don't do cosmic. And he said, you just did two issues. I said, yeah, but they were villains. Anybody can do a villain. That should do a monthly book of Thor. I said, I, I don't think we're up to the task. And he said, why don't you try it? And I, and I said, ah, let me talk to Ron. I asked Ron and Ron said yeah I'd love to do Thor and um I said yeah but I don't don't know I don't know if we can you know come up with an idea that you know that's worthy of Thor you know something cosmic something powerful and and he said well think about it And, and then I came up with this idea you know to do do a celestial story figured yeah so we'll try this if we fail we'll know right away we can't do it um you know, and then we started on one Thor, and I think we were on it for like seven years.
0: Yeah, Next, I think it's like ninety something issues or something.
1: Yeah, it, 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 it was a while. You know, and then two more years of Thunderstruck. So, you
0: know. who is your favorite Thor-related character to write?
1: My, my favorite Thor-related character to write,
0: besides Thor himself.
1: Oh. Oh. Um wow.
0: Did I stump you?
1: Yeah, you stumped me. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. I really enjoyed, you know, dealing with the you know the, the, the Warriors three, but I always think of them together. Hmm. You, know, you, know, uh, you know, maybe Loki. Because, you know, Loki, you know, Loki was such a complex character that, you know, he was always fun to, you know, every time he came on on the scene, you know, Ron and I had a lot of fun with him. Um, Because you never quite knew whether he was telling you the truth or not. Um, So I probably have to say Loki.
0: Uh, Now, talking about your favorite characters to write in certain books... With Fantastic Four, which of the kind of the core members of the four was your kind of favorite character to write? Ben. Thing? Yeah. That was a much easier answer.
1: You know, Ben, you know, I, you know, one of my early books for Marvel was Marvel 2 and 1.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: And and I was writing all these, you know, hoo-ha, ridiculous stories with Ben in them. And uh, I get Jim Shooter at one point said, you know, I look at this, you know, I look at the thing, I look at you and, and I wonder whether or not you're writing an autobiography. <laughs> and I said to so, him, Jim, sometimes I'm wondering that myself. Um, cause so many, so many of the stories that have been dealt with just, you know, just hit awfully close to home. Um,
0: Now, Spider-Man-wise, you've obviously created a lot of villains. Who would you say is kind of your, your favorite Spider-Villain, Spider-Man or Spider-Girl that you've created?
1: My, my, my favorite villain? Yeah. Um, hmm. uh, well, Spider-Man related, I, I know my favorite character, but she's not a villain, which is uh, Silver Sable. Okay. You know, I always had warm feelings for the Black Fox because he was so incompetent. <laughs> uh, I, I guess Puma, uh, but yeah, you know, again, I'm not even sure if Puma was in villain. Uh,
0: yeah, I guess that's a matter of opinion. I guess sometimes yeah. he's written that way, sometimes he's not.
1: Yeah, because you know, I always tried to, you know, add extra levels of, of complexity to the characters. So you know? none of them consider themselves villains um you know Spider Girl hmm favorite villain ah you know we had so many uh you are
0: know, uh, turning them out pretty quickly
1: <laughs> well yeah I mean you know we were trying to you know keep creating new things. Um,
0: It definitely felt like you were tapping into the kind of the energy that the original Spider-Man stories had back in the 60s. Well,
1: you know, I, you know, I, I, in my writing, I'm a high-octane guy. Um, You know, I used to actually break uh, computer uh, keyboards because I would pound pound the key so hard. (laughs) Uh, well, funny face is probably my favorite
2: Spider Girl. Oh yeah, because he was
1: just so psychotic.
0: Um, so, getting back to your uh, run as EIC for just a second, we talked about you know your your successes, uh, your proudest accomplishments. What would you say is maybe your greatest missed opportunity during your tenure?
2: Well,
1: I can, I can tell you, you know, missed opportunity, my greatest failure. Um, when I uh, took over,
2: um,
1: I had one goal, which was to get the creative people paid for foreign licensing. Uh, because I used to think you know, they were reprinting the, the material throughout the, throughout the globe, and the creators weren't seeing a dime of any of that material. And I remember telling Groomwald, you know, the, the one thing we've got to do is get get our people paid for that, you know, for that reprint material. Um, and I basically spent uh, a lot of my time as editor-in-chief fighting to, you know, fighting to get, you know, uh, the, uh, the freelancers paid for that. And, and I finally, about six months before I was fired, I finally convinced the company to do it. They, uh, they agreed to do it. Um, they announced they were going to do it. We, we had to work out a plan. The guy in charge of foreign licensing kept fighting me, but, you know, I already had the company behind me. So, you know, we used to have these, you know, ruling meetings of, you know, uh, at least two times a week, trying to iron out the the, the plan and, and taking baby steps forward because you know, he was fighting me every every step of the way. Um, but ultimately, I got fired before the plan went into effect. And as soon as I got fired, the company reneged on the plan. So I I always look at that as my biggest failure, and I'm still and to this day I'm still haunted by that. It's mm. like, I think that is just so unfair that the creative people are not
0: paid for that material. I I agree with that. Um, This is a kind of a a two part question. It's actually two questions, but I'm going to kind of ask it as one. Um, The first question, the first half of it is How much of what appeared in the comics during your tenure was dictated from execs external from publishing? Um, as opposed to your position, and then also, where do you feel you get the most undeserved blame for corporate or legal decisions you had no say over?
1: Um, to the first, for the to the first part, nothing. Uh, no one on any you know, no one from any other floor ever came down and said, you know, we need this or, or we want this. So, um, you know, every, every once in a while they, you know, come up with some stupid idea and, and we would always, you know, I'd always managed to shut it down before it got anywhere near editorial. Um, so, you know, corporate never had anything to do with the material. Um, and you know, what old. You know, I, uh, and, and this is going to sound silly, but you know, it's been so many years. You know, I don't remember what people would, you know, uh, complain about um, or, or point, you know, you know, you know, blame me for. I, you know, I, 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 I know that back in the day, I'd go to conventions and somebody would. Stand up and say, you know, how come everybody's leaving Marvel? And I'd say, what do you mean, people are leaving Marvel? And then they would rattle off like five or six creators who have left Marvel. And then, and I'd say, um, all of those guys are back now. You know, they're, they're you know, they're back now. They they left them at a certain point, but they're they're all back now. So, you know, I, I and I. I can't explain what happened. I know every once in a while people would come up to me and say, you know, I I can't believe you guys, you know, screwed Steve Ditko and he left. You know, he left Spider-Man. And 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 Why did that happen? I'd say, I I don't know. I was in high school at the time. (laughs) You know, and I'd say, but but Steve is back working for us. You know, I I know Steve is back working for us, you know, he's sitting in my office yesterday, so he's, he's back on, you know, Steve is back working for us, um, I don't know, you know, I don't know why he left Spider-Man, I don't know why he left Doctor Strange, I, you know, and I, you know, and I've spoken to Stan, and Stan doesn't remember, I don't to know if Stan ever was aware of why, um, uh,
2: you
1: know, that sort of thing, you know. um, I do remember when I used to go to conventions, you know, because you know, I was the Marvel guy. I, you know, a lot of people would come up and, and, and give me all their complaints, and at the at the time I would listen to them, and I'd also try to interpret what they were actually saying. There's um, a lot of time people, people would say you're publishing too much material, and I used to think what, what you're really telling me is. Uh, you know, I'm publishing more comic books than you can afford to buy, that you want to buy. And I actually used to think that was a good thing. Because, you know, if you've ever gone car shopping, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I have to go car shopping, I see about 10 cars I'd love to own. But, you know, I'm lucky if I can afford one of them. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's good to Go into a store and saying, "Boy, I wish I could buy, you know, ten items, but I can only afford one. So maybe I'll come back someday." Um, I, you know, I, I, I'd rather that than walk into a store and say, "Hey, I want to buy five comic books, but there are only three that I'm interested in." You know. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I can't remember all the complaints that people. That's okay. okay?
0: Uh, which, which concept do you think uh, deserved a bigger audience that maybe didn't get it during your tenure?
1: Oh, there were so many. There were so many things that, uh, you, know, you know, sometimes a comic book wasn't selling, and Rule that and I would sit down and we'd, we'd read, you know, a bunch of issues, and, you know, and you could look at it and you say, okay, it's obvious. Why this comic book isn't selling, um, and then we could go in and we talk to the editor, and um, the editor would talk to his creative team, and, and you'd see results.
2: Um,
1: but every once in a while, Goonie and I would sit down and say, "Man, this is this is one terrific comic book, and it's just not selling. Um, it's just not for some reason, you know." Just is not hitting the audience. It's just not working, and uh, you know sometimes it would just kind of break our hearts. Like, you know, those were the most painful thing. when you go into an editor and saying, you know, I'm sorry, I I just don't have any ideas for you. What, what you guys are doing it's terrific. You know, I, we, 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 we have no bits of wisdom to throw at you. I you know I think you just, just Hang in there as long as you can, and you know, and, you know, we'll try to keep it the book as as alive as we can. But you know, at a certain point, it's just not gonna, it's, you know, we're not gonna be able to keep on going.
0: Is that what it felt like sometimes with Spider Girl? Because it survived so many rumors of cancellations, and you know, it, it survived a lot longer than maybe a lot of people would have thought. I mean, you guys were doing great books, and. It, it, nothing about the book itself ever changed in terms of quality but it was always perpetually on the bubble was it kind of like being on the other side of that well
1: uh, sometimes but you know here's what happened to Spider girl here's what routinely happened with spider girl um, with the direct market sales only go down they very rarely go up um, and that's you know, you, you, you talk to any retailer, and he'll tell you how many copies he's going to order issue one, and how much he's going to cut for issue two, and how much he's going to cut for issue three, and, and, and that sort of thing. So sales only go down. Back in the day, it would take approximately a year or sometimes a year and a half before the direct market could react to the sales of a comic G.I. Joe, the first year and a half, we could not give that comic book away to the direct market. And then in the matter of after a year and a half, in the matter of three months, it went from our lowest selling title to our best to one of our best selling titles. Because suddenly the direct market realized that every every month they were selling out of G. I. Joe. Um, so That's a problem with the direct market. Now, the sales departments know that sales only go down. So they do these sales projections where they would look at a title and they would say, okay, if it's selling this number in January, by June we will be selling this number. And by September we're going to start to lose money on this book. So we should cancel the book in July. And they would do these projections to cancel the book. And, you know, 99% of the titles followed, you know, followed that, you know, followed that, you know, that pattern. The one exception was (laughs) Spider-Girl. Spider-Girl numbers... You know either stayed, it was a straight line or it would be a straight curving up line. So they say, We're going to cancel this book in six issues. We got six more issues. We're going to tie it up. Okay, fine. We're going to tie it up in six issues. Now, most of the time, we're doing one or two issue stories. Um, so it didn't matter, you know we're going along, we're going along, we're going to cancel it, we're going to cancel it. Get towards the end of the month, they look at the sales projections, they look at the actual numbers, they say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Maybe we should do six more issues. (laughs) Because it's still selling. And that's what kept happening to just It just kept defying all the expectations. So it never actually... You know, yes, there were always rumors that it was gonna be canceled because the projections said it should, you know, according to the, the standard patterns it should be cancelled. Except by the time we got there, the standard pat patterns didn't didn't apply. Um, and then you know and then at one point they did started to do reprint the, the Spider Girl stuff in these digest books. Yeah. And at the time they were reprinting it Scholastic became our biggest customer, and uh, Mo- Spider Girl became Marvel's best-selling trade paperbacks. We were selling between eighty and a hundred thousand copies of, of each of those trade paperbacks. Wow! Wow! Yeah, so we were at one point Marvel's most profitable title, huh.
0: and yet almost always almost canceled.
1: And yet almost always canceled, and eventually. The reason why they canceled Spider Girl is because they wanted to give Aranya the name, and that's why they ultimately canceled Spider Girl. If they had not canceled, had not decided to give Spider Girl Aranya's name, um, you know, if they decided not to give Aranya Spider Girl's name and needed the name, uh, and had just left us alone. You know, we probably would would still be we would still be published today, and because the sales on everything else has fallen so so dramatically over the years, we'd probably be Marvel's one of Marvel's top selling titles today.
0: Hmm. It's it's, 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 it's sad too because the arena or sorry, the Anya, um, Spider Girl didn't last very long. I think it was like eight issues.
1: Yeah, I you know I, I said I, I was kind. of... Kind of annoyed by that, I said, "Listen, we lasted 13 years. You should at least last 13 issues."
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: and uh, and that that got all sorts of great critical acclaim and everything else like that. We just didn't get the sales, and it's a shame because I, you know, I think they did a good good job on the comic.
0: Book. No, absolutely, I agree. Um, you had mentioned earlier about uh, Steve Ditko um, as a comic fan who. You know, as much younger like, what, what is Steve Dicko even like like there's a lot of kind of myths about the man because he has almost no presence like everyone knows his work but him as a person almost seems like this fascinating cipher in the comics community that I don't think any industry has someone who's such a fascinating character because of what we don't know
1: well Steve prefers to keep his, his life you know secret um you know, keep to keep his personal life personal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I, you know, I think that you know, I I understand that you know that attitude because I have always preferred to keep my personal life personal. Um, and I, you know, I, I you know, I, I can tell you that he, he is a he, he is a terrific human being and um, a very intelligent guy and. Uh, Terrific conversationalist. Um, But that's about all I'm going to tell you because I I have to respect his wishes.
0: Well, that's fair. It's just just interesting that I guess in his desire to be private, he's become one of the most fascinating people in the medium. Well,
1: you know, uh, you know, know, his his work would would generate that interest anyway.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's part of people wish they got more of it, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, There's plenty of it out there. It's just that, you know, at this stage, hes I guess he's semi-retired. To be honest, I consider myself semi-retired. These days, I only work five days a week, (laughs) which is what I consider semi-retirement.
0: Well, I guess compared to your history, right?
1: Yeah, you you know, we all slow up a bit as time goes on.
0: Um, here's a question from, our, uh, from the Master, Marvel Masterworks forum uh, what do you prefer to write for a talented artist and a supportive editor or to edit a talented writer and an artist team
1: well you know these days I, you know, I, I think I, I prefer to write with a supportive editor um, and a talented artist uh, you know, it, if I, you know, if I was ever crazy enough to accept a staff job again, which I, you know, I think uh, you know, happily my days of, of being on staff are long over. Um, the only kind of job that I'd be interested would be a line editor, um, not not an executive editor, you know, not a. You know, group editor, certainly not an editor cheap chief again, or a publisher or anything else like that. But I, I would love, you know, and, and, and did love editing, um, because there was just such a, you know, such a magic to, to the whole editing process. Um, and, and that, you know, that is something that I, that I do miss, um, you know, uh, you know, I'm just glad no one, no one would ever think to offer me that job again. Because they say so you're, you're much too overqualified, and we'd be afraid that you'd try to steal my job. And I'd, uh, you know, you know, I, you and I look at the, you know, poor Bob Harris, poor Tom, Tom Brewood, poor Axel Alonso, poor Joe Posada. You know, they they had I'm sorry, guys. I I, I know what that job is. There's no way I'd like like your jobs anymore. (laughs)
2: Uh,
1: I like uh, like sitting home. I like sitting home, and I I, I get to do a wide variety of material these days. Not a lot of comics anymore. You know, whenever I do get a chance to do a comic book story, it's still a lot of fun.
0: Going back just for a second, um, when you did become editor in chief, there are certain things that you consciously tried to do differently than your predecessor.
1: Yeah,
0: like anything in particular you'd like to mention, or? Well, I,
1: you know, I thought that uh, as, as editor in chief. I thought my job was to look look towards the future and um, you know not pay too much attention to you know the comic books that were coming out today um, I, I thought that you know I, I should be looking six months a year you know and eventually get it up to two or three years you know I, I should know you know Right now, it's, uh, it's March thousand fifteen, and as editor in chief, I should know what what Marvel is going to publish uh, in March two thousand eighteen, um, and and really know everything up until that point, and, and be focused, you know, on, on building a building a strong future, um, and I decided that I was. I was going to try to, as much as I could, detach myself from, you know, the, the day-to-day editing chores. I, I empowered my editors. I used to tell the editors, imagine if you were total total control of, of, of this title. Well, guess what you are. So it's up to you to figure out who you want to work on this book and how you want this book to go. You know, it's up to me to tell you what this book should be about. And then you have to, you know, reach that dream, you know, reach that goal. Like, you know, I wasn't going to be second guessing editors as the you know, individual lines of dialogue or anything else like that or creative themes And, and whatever an artist would come, hey, I've got a great idea for, you know. For the next issue of my comic, I'd say, "Good, talk to your editor." <laughs> you no, know, because I, you know, I didn't want to be. Like I said, I didn't think I should be involved in, in, in that sort of day-to-day stuff, and it, and it took it, it took a while to convince the editors and, and, and the group editors that you know uh, that. You know, that's where, you know, where my head should be and where their head should be. Now, occasionally, um, you know, guys would run into, you know, they'd slam into a wall and they'd come and say, listen, we're working on this story and, uh, you know, we're not sure how it should end. And we'd sit there and discuss it and, and i you know, draw out ideas to them. And, you know, my attitude is you take the ideas, you don't take the ideas. You know, it's up to you guys. Because, you know, every once in a while guys would run into plotting problems and and they thought I could help them out with it. But, you know, that's not where I thought I'd, you know, I would would always help guys as much as I could. But, um, like I said, I think the editor-in-chief should be planning on the future. I think we... I think these days the publisher should be focused on finding new chains of distribution. Because any moment, any minute, a publisher is not working on chains of distribution. He's, uh, you know, he's allowing the industry to crawl closer to destruction. (laughs) Also, as editor-in-chief, I was always trying to come up with new formats, which is why we did hardcover books and Posters, a lot more posters and magazine style things, and all sorts of different things. Hmm. Want there to be a lot of variety.
0: Well, I think that definitely bears out from, as you said, the type of stuff that was published during your tenure, like that you kind of brought about and started focusing more on.
1: Well, well, we're at that point with this stuff.
0: Now, you mentioned that to, as part of Secret Wars, you're going to have... Now, is it going to be a miniseries, or how is... What are you going to be doing exactly?
1: Well, I'm going to do a 30-page story, which is going to be broken up. I think it's, you know, it's uh, five chapters, a 10-page chapter, a bunch of five-page chapters. Okay. And that's going to appear in, in, a, in a comic book. I think it's called Spider-Verse, or spider Spider Verse Island, or something like that.
0: I think it was Secret Wars, Spider Verse, or something to, to that effect. I think it was just recently announced.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, you know, Ryan, Ryan, and I are still hammering out the story, trying to trying to figure out how to do it, and come up with five cliffhangers, or well, four cliffhangers, um, and, and try to figure out a, w- a way to twist well you know you do our normal you know woo mm-hmm. action you know with a lot of personal angst and you know touch on the characters and make everything meaningful and, and give you a lot of twisted turns and make it a real wild rollercoaster ride for those 30 pages and, uh, and because Ron and I are lunatics and never make life easy for ourselves we're you know <laughs> we're we're, we're tossing ideas in and tossing
0: them out just as fast. Yeah. What, um, what is it like writing Mayday considering what's been going on with her th- during the Spider-Verse storyline? Obviously, you wrote a short story there. I mean, obviously, a lot of changes have happened in her life. What's that like considering like you've written so much of the character's history and then another writer writing these kind of important things that have been happening recently and now you're picking up the pieces? Yeah, it's, a, you
1: know, it's an interesting challenge because... You know, Mayday is, uh, she's got a real shock to the system. Her whole life has changed. Um, if there was, you know, I, uh, you know, if there were to be a new Spider-Girl series, it, it would be it would be a real challenge to create the, you know, recreate the optimism and the fun of the old thing. That that would ultimately be the goal of mm-hmm. that would be a real challenge. Because you know, she's lost one of the most important people in her life. Um, and she's you know, she's decided now to call herself Spider Woman, you know, like the other hundred and fifty thousand Spider Women. Yeah. Which I I think is, you know, kind of a goofy thing.
0: Do you think the book would sell better if it was just called Spider May? Considering there's a Spider Gwen book now? <laughs> Probably.
1: But, uh, you know, A, I don't think Marvel is going to do a Spider-Man book. And B, even if they did, I, you know, I really doubt they would call up me and Ron to do it again. Um, and, you know, and I, you know, the kind of deep characterization and character subplots and, you know, kind of character soap opera that Ron and I do. You know, I, I, that doesn't seem to be what's popular these days. Um, you know, I, and and to, you know, to me, you know, if I can't get deeply involved in a character, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I, you know, if I'm all that interested in, in, in doing. You um, so know, I I got to I got to delve deep into
0: characterization. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to definitely to read that uh, that upcoming story. I mean, it sounds interesting, and it's just nice to see you and Ron working together. Whenever, wherever that might be, it's always nice to see.
1: Well, well thank you, Ron. And I still really have a, a grand old time for ourselves.
0: You haven't uh, you haven't gotten sick of each other yet?
1: <laughs> Not yet. We we you know we have it on on our agenda, um, but we we haven't gotten around to it yet. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, you know, you know. It, it's a it's a weird thing because Ron and I, you know, you know, I have to assume we have as you know, as great an ego as anybody else. Um, but you know, when we sit down to do a story, it's all about the story. And, and, you know, he throws in ideas, I throw in ideas, and we're not wedded to anything. And. Uh, and really don't give a shit, who, you know, who, who comes up with the ideas, and, it, I, and, you know, somehow or other the stories just come together, and, you know, and, you know, at the end of it, I don't know if they're his ideas or mine, and I don't really care, as long as it's a good story. Well, we've been lucky, We managed to do a, a bunch of what I think are good stories.
0: Oh, Absolutely. Well, Tom, thank you very much for uh, for taking time out today to uh, talk to us and uh, for answering our many questions.
1: It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Buha.